Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. must love what you do. You must love it and it takes over you. It's a passion. That right there is your fuel of sustainability. Welcome listeners to another episode of In the Envelope. I am joined today by uh, the one and only the, I should have written like a long, elaborate intro for you. <laughs> There's Everybody already knows who you are. <laughs> Jamie Muffett, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Um, I am good. I am excited to talk to you because it seems like it's been a while since our last voiceover episode. Yeah. Which, as I recall, was a compilation of former episodes. Today, listeners, we have a brand new, spanking new topic to cover in voiceover and um, guest. Yeah, very exciting who's played some iconic characters over the years. This was exciting, right? Yeah, I was very, I'm a bit of a voiceover nerd, as you know, so uh, my mm. little sort of nerd heart was a flutter. <laughs> yes, yes, because uh, today's guest, Jeff Bergman, whose iconic, I guess, voice you just heard, listeners, he's joining us today and like, thank you, Jamie, for kind of helping me figure out who to be a nerd about in the voiceover world because Jeff is certainly well-known among voiceover circles, but not necessarily yeah. among like the typical audience member. Um, however, he is the star of the recently released Space Jam, A New Legacy. Yeah, he's definitely one of these people you will have heard throughout your life, but didn't know right. who he was in various yes. guises, Yeah, which yes. is the sort of lot of a voice actor, I guess. Right, and I, I think that you and I both nerded out maybe for slightly different reasons, because like I just grew up watching Bugs Bunny, and I'm obsessed yeah. with like, the Looney Tunes in general, and the fact that Jeff had to or got to inherit the voices of Mel Blanc's mm. characters when Mel Blanc died is so exciting to me. But you were saying, I mean, why, so why were you nerding out? I mean, what was what were like the crafty technical stuff that you got out of this? I was really interested in his journey and, you know, how mm -hmm. he got to where, you know, because he started quite a long time ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it was a different world and a different sure. industry. And longevity is an important aspect of this career. Like it's all very well having a buzz and doing mm. something and just being popular at one time, mm. but to maintain that and, and move with the tr transitions and the changes in this industry is not easy and not an easy thing to do. Just even looking at the last two years. Yeah, exactly. So many changes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and he's navigated that seemingly flawlessly <laughs> from totally. my perspective and, you know, has, has, you know, the various sort of ways this industry has sort of flowed and you know ebbed throughout this this period totally. of time and like you mentioned in the last couple of years particularly la talent working in high profile animation gigs 
everyone in LA was so used to just, well, I'll just go into the studio and record the gigs in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of talent that had home studios, but when COVID happened, everyone that had a home studio was at a huge advantage yes. and everyone else was scrambling. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if there's anything to take from this, it's sort of staying current and, and being aware of what's going on. And, and adaptable. Yeah. Adaptability, yeah. Totally. The the hustle, the career hustle and the technical know the technical know how hard work are very much like one and the same with voiceover or maybe just particularly with Jeff. Like I loved hearing the early career stories of how he basically talked his way into getting an agent. Yeah. Um he does he also tells the story of meeting Mel Blanc and sort of speaking with Mel Blanc about possibly becoming a voiceover actor and then inheriting the roles when Mel passed away. Um, Jeff voice, has voiced Bugs Bunny, Davy Duck, Elmer Fudd, Sylvester, Yosemite Sam, Fred Flintstone, Yogi Bear. There's all kinds of non-Looney <laughs> Tunes characters. Like chances are if you've turned on a cartoon show in the last couple decades, you've heard Jeff's voice. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah. And I can't believe we were treated to a rendition of What's Up for Doc <laughs> featuring both um, Bugs and Elmer. If we ever do a like a best of this podcast, that's going to be included in it for sure. Completely. And that actually is such a good reminder. Like you just reminded me that these voiceover episodes that we are like, we it's a recurring series. Every once in a while, we're checking in and doing a deep dive on voiceovers. They work spectacularly on a podcast to talk yeah. to somebody whose yes. voice is that amazing. He just yeah. flipped it on and off. At one point, he becomes Donald Trump in this interview. Well, actually, that's quite a strong characteristic for a lot of animation voice actors is because they get thrown things, you know, very last minute. Other uh, genres, you kind of know what the deal is when you go into the studio, whether you when you start the session, whereas animation, they they can change things on the fly. They can throw new characters at you. And, mm -hmm. you know, it tends to be people who are very quick witted and good on their yes. feet to do who do this kind of work. And they do the voice first, so they have that flexibility. You know. Voice first, and uh, Jeff also mentioned that in this new Space Jam movie, he worked with LeBron James, the other star of the movie, zero times. Yeah. That's another aspect of voiceover, is it, it is often just you alone in a, in a studio or in a home studio. Yeah. Um, there are any other like voiceover industry updates that listeners should know about? Because as we've been saying, it this is why we're making this recurring series, because there is just yeah. so much going on. Well, it's funny you should ask that, Jack, because <laughs> I have an episode of my podcast, VO School, coming out today. And a big Indeed. thing that people are talking about right now is AI or synthetic voices taking over what we do. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of the um, online marketplaces, the uh, Voice123, they have recently conducted a report, and actually that's coming out today as well, Thursday. And mm -hmm. um, it's they've surveyed and they actually implemented some AI voices on their system to get real data on this. Okay. And they surveyed the clients to see, what did you think of this? So it was a real world test. So we're going to go through that report and figure out what actual voice seekers thought of that and yeah. the state of play today, because there's a lot of scaremongering about that, that Absolutely. voice actors are going to be out of work and things like that, which actually, spoiler alert, is not necessarily the thing. That's Not necessarily. Happen. That's good. That's good to hear. Because I do think, yeah, listeners of this podcast that are interested in voiceover, as always, go listen to VO School. And it sounds like, yeah, you guys have an exclusive on truly the latest in a pretty fascinating area of voiceover right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's coming out today and the report is in some ways completely, not to give it all away, it's some, the, the results are sort of logical and obvious in some ways. And then mm. there are a few things that like I was quite surprised to, to mm. learn. So, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting um, discussion for sure. Um, well, thank you, Jamie. We will have you on again soon because I think uh, it may be sooner than you think, listeners. We'll have another voiceover episode sooner than our last break between voiceover episodes. Um, the voice cast of Space Jam is amazing. We really could have just gone, at, you know, tons and tons of interviews with everyone in Space Jam. But yeah. Bugs was obviously that's that's yeah. Great. And Jeff's such a legend, so very happy he's on the pod. Um, well, All thank right. you, Jamie. Let's take a quick break and then get to this interview. Hello, hello. This is Jamie, the producer of the podcast, and I just want to take some time to tell you about the sister podcast to In the Envelope, which is VO School. This is a podcast that I produce and host, and it is devoted entirely to voiceover. So if you're looking to get into the voiceover industry, you should check it out. That's VO School, found on iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, and it's hosted by me. Each episode covers a different subject, and we go through the business, the craft, the marketing, the blood, sweat, and tears that is creating a voiceover career. So check us out, the VO School podcast, available now. Jeff Bergman is a legend in the voiceover industry, particularly when it comes to cartoon animation. The first actor to replace Mel Blanc as the voice of Bugs Bunny and other Looney Tunes characters, Jeff has also lent his voice to the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Jellystone, Despicable Me and Batman films, and Stephen Colbert's Showtime satire, Our Cartoon President. He now stars as Bugs and several other Warner Brothers cartoons in Space Jam, A New Legacy. Here is the astounding Jeff Bergman. Hey, Jack. Hi. <laughs> Hi, good to meet you. Pleasure to meet you, too. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so many questions for you. I So on this podcast, we're all about craft and career advice, but we do um, because we are backstage. First of all, are you familiar with backstage at all? Of course. Yes. Did you ever use backstage for like casting notices? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm dating myself, but yes, <laughs> uh, that was the go-to paper in the, in the like mid, late 80s for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, when it was a paper paper, not, yes. not even a magazine. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's great. Um, well, we really like featuring voiceover actors, especially, of course, on the podcast. And uh, I always kind of start by asking about inspirations and early inspirations. But I, th I always find it super fascinating for voiceover, especially impressionists. What were your earliest, like, inspos or people that you were copying? Well, probably it started for me in the late 1960s when I saw Rich Little, Frank Gorshin, George Kirby, they were the impressionists of the day, and you know they were they were the Dana Carveys of that time, or or the Jay Pharaohs, you know. I mean, I just thought it was like watching a magician. They what they did was like whoa! It was like you you just went from this voice to that voice, and how is that possible? So I mean, it was it, and it was additionally exciting because when you think about it, people didn't really have televisions in their homes until the mid 50s most people that is in the united states so 
it re television really was only made in its infancy, maybe 15, 17 years that people had TV sets. So it just was that much more unbelievable. And there was no social media. So when you saw someone do 10 minutes, a, mm -hmm. a comic on Ed Sullivan, and they were they were doing all these impressions, you, you your head was blown. <laughs> you, you, yeah. Your mind was blown by it. Your universe is just expanding. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that, that was my first inspiration, Rich Little. And then, of course, eventually I I would get on to Mel Blanc and, and you know, the voice of Bugs Bunny and Dawes Butler and, and Don Messick. I mean, they were like the, the they're like the Mount Rushmore of, of animated voice artists. Right. And so then where did you so talk to us about the school you went to school and at what point did you meet Mel Blanc? I met, I first met Mel Blanc in 1981. So that would be just, uh, it's 40 years, you know, this year that I met him. And I was in my junior year at the University of Pittsburgh getting my undergraduate degree. And I noticed that there was, uh, he was going to be at our university giving a performance lecture. And mm -hmm. I went, oh my gosh, Mel Blanc, the voice bugs bunny. So I thought, wow, let's, let's go check that out. Never could I have imagined that I would see his performance and he was great. He brought Bugs Bunny cartoons. They had a reception afterwards. He signed autographs for all the kids, for all the students. But I never could have imagined that I would have met him that night. And I, I don't know what gave me the courage to do it because it's not necessarily my, my MO to knock on someone's hotel room at 10 o'clock at night. And he answered the door and like the first words out of his mouth that I heard were uh, just a jiffy. And I went, oh my God, that's him. That, that's the voice. So he opened the door, he was in his bathrobe, and, and he, you know, it, it, uh, Mr. Blank, I, I saw your lecture at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm such a huge fan. Could you just give me three minutes of your time? And, and he was so gracious. I mean, he was so nice. And he invited me in. I mean, could you imagine, like, no. today? <laughs> that would never happen today. I mean, I can't imagine that in the times we're living in. So he invited me in, and there were two of those single kind of, you know, small diminutive beds. And we each sat on one of the beds facing each other. And he asked me about my my what I was studying. And I said I really didn't want to be in college. And he, he gave me some great advice, which is to stay in school, okay. and get your degree. And, and I did some voices for him. I did a little performance for him. And he was very sweet and encouraging. And he said, wow. you know, you're, you're pretty good. So if you ever get out to L.A., look me up. Uh -huh. So that was a that was a watershed moment, I have to say. That was a big turning point for me in my career, that, that first that meeting. That's crazy. And but you said that it was not necessarily in your nature to be so assertive and to just and to initiate i mean i didn't realize you went to the hotel room and knocked on the door it's amazing yes i that's just not me to do that that's not in my dna to be that forward uh yeah. to seek out somebody but i just and the the strange thing is i wasn't somebody that was just like waiting to do cartoon voices in mm -hmm. california i didn't even think about that 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 didn't even seem like that was possible to do right, anything right. like that um, I just thought of myself as doing impersonations and maybe, you know, maybe one day I'll get in and do, uh, you know, voice recordings or something. But I didn't think about it from that perspective. Right. So cartoons did not come up until later. I mean, tell us about the early career days. What happened after college with that that move to L.A.? You did look Mel up for one thing. Well, I actually I never had any other contact with him again when I graduated okay. which was a couple of years later. 
I started to mess around in the summer of like 81, 82, 83 with cartoon voices. I don't know what made me do it, but I started to think about maybe I'll just try to get more of vocal impersonations in my repertoire because I was going to go to New York and try to make a, a career there just because I lived on the East Coast. So it seemed kind of logical that I would go to New York because I'm from Philadelphia originally. So, you know, I... And so I got an agent. I got uh, into the William Morris agency, hmm. and and that was the beginning of the start of my career. But it was almost as though the thing with Mel Blanc had just taken a back seat. Hmm. And then, if you take eight years from when I met him in 1981, now we're at 1989, and he had passed away, hmm. uh, oddly enough, on my birthday, right. and. Two weeks later, they were casting for Tiny Toons, Steven Spielberg's Tiny Toon Adventures. And I started to cast for those roles. And, mm -hmm. and I was cast as Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and Daffy Duck and, and Falkhorn Leghorn and Sylvester, just one audition after the other. And that was really the beginning of it um, in 1989. Yeah, in, in 1989. So that, that was the start of it. But I never actually met him again. How interesting! I didn't realize that. So it's it really was sort of almost meant to be, and and still very much tied to Mel and his and his life. I mean, you took over right after he died, and it was on your birthday, and this is also like full circle, or this is like where everything was leading. It seems like I guess so, and I had no idea. You know, I, you don't think about anything like that. You just kind of put one foot in front of the other, hope for the best. But it really did take a back seat. It wasn't something I thought consciously about but yet i was interested and i was just kind of working on those voices and i don't know what you know compelled me to do it other than the fact right. that when i met him i was just kind of in awe um because i had seen him many times on the jack benny show i mean he was a regular on that mm. show so you, i i saw i knew who his you know i knew him facially a lot of people maybe wouldn't recognize him if they only knew him right. as bugs bunny right right um, but I know there's a story with the agencies. Like I heard that you sent in tapes for years. I mean, we love hearing about the early career days. Like how how <laughs> how were you making a living? And what was you know what was the comedy? What were you doing to stay afloat until this happened in 1989? Well, okay. So in 1983, I was still in. I, was, I think I was just finished my final exams or. I, maybe it was midterms. I had a break and I went to New York and I thought, you know, I'm going to try to get an agent. So I had made a tape, which I thought was, you know, like the bee's knees. And <laughs> in those days, you could actually go to an, a, you know, uh, a talent agency and drop your tape off. Got it. But they really didn't want that. There was a book called The Ross Reports. And in The Ross yes. Reports, they had all the agencies and they had listed all the agents on camera mm -hmm. agent, voiceover agent, legit agent. And so they would tell you what they wanted you to do. In most cases, they told you, don't drop anything off. Don't, don't send do anything. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'd be like, well, well, how do you get anything to anybody? So I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll dress up as a delivery boy. Oh, my gosh. And I'll have like receipt pads and in it will be my tape. And I'll address it <laughs> to the voiceover person in the department. So that's what I did. So I came up. And in, in those days, the William Morris Agency in New York City was was in the MGM building at 55th and 6th Avenue. And I went in, went up to the 32nd floor, 
where they were, and I said, uh, I have a package here for Colonel Baker in the voiceover department to sign here for, for her to sign uh, from Jeff Bergman. And the, she looked at me, the, the, the receptionist, a little suspiciously, but I just, I committed to it. I committed Whoa. to it strong, and, and she just, I guess, went, okay. And so somehow the tape must have gotten to the agent because about a week later, and I remember it was around the end of September, it was around the, the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur holidays, I get a call and I'm taking my exams. You have a booking on Monday for Liam Parent's Worcestershire sauce in Manhattan, blah, 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 whatever the address was. And oh, you had booked a gig without even hearing from them. Right, booked a gig without meeting the agent or anything, didn't talk to anybody. And oh. so they said, please call us at blah, 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 212, blah, blah, whatever the number was. And so I called, spoke to the assistant didn't even talk to the agent and the assistant said that you're booked you they booked you from your tape we had a, a thought that that you could do it and they were need they needed voices so you know it's just like i don't know preparation meets opportunity yes. all at once and it just happens timing and meets so your, your agency forgetting to tell you that you're a client or <laughs> yeah right so they told me they they told me the address where to go there was the script uh, and the, there was uh, the voices that they wanted, whatever I wanted. And then when you're finished the job, come up to the William Morris agency and we'll oh. talk. So that's how all that started. That and that so was crazy. Kind of, it's so crazy, right? Like, I don't know if, if you could get into a building now because of so many different, you know, security protocols. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's even possible. I don't know if it was possible pre-pandemic, let alone, you know, the, uh, oh, exactly. what we've all gone through. Yeah. So, but anyhow, that really, that started everything. And so then they just, they signed me right away across the board. And I really just wanted to do mostly commercials, but very quickly there was something happening. Lauren Michaels, who was, you know, obviously the creator of Saturday Night Live, left Saturday Night Live and Dick Ebersol mm -hmm. took over and Lauren was developing a, a, a show on NBC called The New Show. That was the title of the show. And he was casting for it, and they were casting for all kinds of performers. It was like a variety type show. It was similar to SNL, but a little bit different. So I went, I did an audition, and typically, like they do with SNL, I did 10 minutes. Nobody laughed. Yep. And I, an hour later, I get a call. They want me. I'm booked on the show. I was 24. I was the announcer of the show. I did character voices for them. Oh. And I did one on-camera appearance. We only got 13 weeks, but it was like the beginning. And I, th I think I was making, I don't know, $800 a week. I thought that was like 40, it might, might as well have been $50,000 a week. That was so much money <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, after that, I just started to get more work and book more things. And, you know, it takes time, but it took a couple of years. And by 1985, 86, I started to work a little bit more, but I still wanted to do you know, the Looney Tunes voices, that was really, there was a passion in me to still want to, uh, to work on those characters. And so now fast forwarding to 1989, that's when uh, all the auditions started to happen and they put it out to everybody. And, and I made a tape for Warner Brothers. Oh. And what I did was I took existing footage of cartoons like What's Opera Doc. Oh. And in those days, there was a, there was a, a, a the format there was a, a high fidelity format called three quarter inch tape on one channel was the original audio from the cartoon. Mm -hmm. And on the second channel, 
you could put whatever audio you wanted. So obviously the cartoons on channel one, channel two, I didn't have any sound effects. It was just my voice dubbed in. Cool. And I did it as, you know, as, as best as I could do it. And they, I had the agents at WMRs get it to Warner Brothers. And I don't know like what they thought of it. I, I think they liked it, but I'm not completely sure. But I, but I do know that I had to go through all the official audition process and then eventually, you know, was cast in, in as Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and Daffy Duck and so forth. That's super fascinating, the idea that, like, is the goal of sending in a tape like that, that somebody could play it and close their eyes and just, it, it's supposed to sound like the original? Like, I would love to just ask about inheriting a voice. How much are you, like, down to the nitty-gritty recreating Mel Blanc? Well... Um, now, when I really think about it practically, I don't think that can happen because A, those mm. were recorded in the 40s and 50s, the recording, different, different sound, different microphones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they recorded on a Foley stage. I recorded in a very professional studio in, in, you know, in the 1980s that was much more sophisticated, transistor mics. I mean, there's so many different aspects. Yeah. Plus, I had no production. There was no music and effects. So, mm-hmm. But I thought to myself, you know what? That will at least showcase you know only what i can do i'm not trying to um you know hide what i can do if there's there's going to be differences or flaws it's going to be all out there and i'll just let them see everything i have Hmm. and and so yeah i mean i just sometimes if you don't over strategize and overthink about it um i just it was the love of of the joy of wanting to do it that i think propelled me um, you know, forward, you know, but I certainly had help from, you know, the recording engineer and, and to getting it, you know, where, so it could sound, you know, professional as, as good as it could. Sure. Well, I love that. I mean, of course, enthusiasm is certainly like an important ingredient. What are the other like physical traits or, or other attributes either for your voice or for your, you yourself, your personality that, lends itself to voice acting like what are for someone who's maybe thinking about becoming a voice actor what are the kinds of qualities they should have well i think it's somebody that probably is very animated in the way they express themselves in Mm. general but somebody that perhaps maybe prefers voice to being on camera Okay. So I, I think in my case, I definitely prefer, I tried on camera and I did some on camera, but, and I thought it was fun, but I just, there was something about the connection. I think it's my connection to sound, what what I hear. I'm so sensitive. I could see a movie. We could see the same movie together and I wouldn't remember what I saw, but mm-hmm. I would remember what I heard and, and how I heard it and, and, and the different layers of sound. So I think it's kind of the way you're 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 wild wired. From for me, that's that's what I can say for me, you know. And of course, the impressionists where or the impressions where you are imitating a voice that already exists. Is it then like? Of course, we also love hearing about the character construction process. Do you just slip in to these characters? Like, is 
Foghorn Leghorn, could you just slip into it right now without thinking about it? Like, how conscious is the process? I say, good idea. And I say, nice boy, but about as sharp as a sack of wet mice. Ooh, that girl, she reminds me of the highway between Dallas and Fort Worth. No curves. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it, it should be fairly easy because it's what 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 I do. It's your and, job, and sure. yeah, and it's and it's repetition, you know. But, but I teed you up for that, and you didn't even blink. You had the the line ready to go too. <laughs> well, yeah, well that helps. I mean, it certainly <laughs> helps to be to be prepared. But but I I do think that it, it's a big part of how I view the world. I I, I view okay. the world through sound. Cool. And I think a lot of people, a lot of voice actors, I would I would imagine, would maybe say similar things. Hmm. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. It's like it's it's it does require a certain type of person, I think, with certain tastes, mm -hmm. even in their entertainment. And also too, when you're talking about an impersonation, see, hmm. that's where I think uh, it took me time to learn, oh, I'm not really doing an impersonation of Bugs Bunny or of uh, Falkhorn Leghorn or you know Morgan Freeman or whoever I'm doing I'm trying to capture the essence of the memory that I have and maybe mm. it's the memory that you have so I'm trying to pull something cuz you may have watched the Bugs Bunny cartoon on the sofa you know at at four o'clock in the afternoon or five oh. you know or six o'clock in the morning when you were a kid and I have to try to conjure up recreate that memory whatever that is yeah which I suppose is the same for things like uh, my cartoon president is that a same similar process? I mean, you know, Jack, we're doing a lot of tremendous things. I was very upset when they told me I couldn't be president Ugh. and they kicked me out of the Oval Office. It was terrible. I was very upset and very resentful. And you know what? They wouldn't even let me take my secret Diet Coke dispenser. But that's okay. It's okay. I created the vaccine. Everything is great. The world is going to be great all because of me. God. <laughs> I, I brought that on myself, getting <laughs> himself on the podcast. Um, it is remarkable, and of course, I'm watching you on video, and you you do you are doing the physical mannerisms as well. Like when you are in a recording studio, how physical is your performance? Like how much of a almost outside in approach is there? That's a really good question because when you're when you're standing in front of a microphone, you know, there's the mic, it's right yeah. here, and you you know, if you move too much off axis of the microphone, you're going to lose the sweet spot of the microphone of the sound. So that's a tricky thing for on-camera actors that haven't done a lot of voiceover or people that are new to voiceovers, especially in animation. I have to be animated in a space that's like right there, right there. So if, for example, if I'm doing a line like Bugs Bunny, it's true, Doc, I'm a rabbit, all right. Would you like to shoot me now or wait till I get home? Shoot him now, shoot him now, shoot him now. It, it's, there's, it's the it's the thought it's the it it there it's all internal is what okay. it is there there is physical gestures yeah and it's nice to have your hands free that's really nice if you can have your hands free because that really helps with the expression and the emoting with with characters but like you said it's like the essence is a is an integral part of the character construction you're attack you're like attacking the essence of the character i suppose you're trying to like, so if I'm yeah. doing like say Yogi Bear, I'm thinking in that moment, I mean, I have a line or two, so I'm not thinking of what the line is right now, but I'm trying to mm. capture the essence 
of every cartoon that I've ever seen, everything that has been there, there out there as Yogi Bear, I'm trying to capture that. So when I do it, I'm, I'm recreating what would seem like, oh, that, that I, I get that. Hey, boo-boo, I'm smarter than the average bear. Oh, Yogi, if I were you, I wouldn't touch that picnic basket. You'll get in a lot of trouble with the ranger. Yogi, if I were you, I wouldn't touch that picnic basket. Ah, Mr. Ranger, sir, you and I are like old friends, like PB&J or Locks and Bagel. <laughs> Wait, but this is amazing because that my other question is how do you what are the mechanics of recording a conversation between two characters? You just did three, but are you are you there switching between them or is it I'm doing one character and then I'm doing a new recording as another? It, it, you know, so when we were doing, say, our, our cartoon president, I did uh -huh. all of like Joe Biden's lines and then I would do so, all so. of Trump's lines. Okay. So I would always do them separately, do all of Bugs Bunny lines separately, do Elmer Fudd's line separately to, you know, Daffy Duck, whoever the other characters separately, because vocal placement is is really key. And most of these characters, some of them share similar vocal placement, but it's usually different, you know, and there's a different mindset with the characters. So you, right. you want to give each of that, each of those characters, um, you know, you want to have the benefit of, of, of just focusing on that, you know, that, that character. There's similarities in voices anyhow, so, and sometimes it, it yeah. might take because of your vocal placement, you might, you know, you know what it's like to have a quick cold and it, and it, you don't sound like yourself real. So that happens to voice artists when they're switching voices often, that they're sort of in between voices. Um, so yeah, so it's good to stay in, in character if you can. Got it. So that, of course, I mean, I should ask about Space Jam because that's very related. Were there a lot of scenes where where you're just voicing multiple characters in conversation? Well, um, you know, for Space Jam, doing Bugs Bunny for Space Jam, I there was so much material that uh -huh. most of the sessions that we did, I was recording just all the bugs. Uh -huh. So, and then we would have oftentimes a separate session where I was doing Sylvester, then a separate session where I was doing Yosemite Sam. Got it. And then another session where I was doing Fred Flintstone and, and, and then another one with Yogi Bear. So it was really nice. We gave such attention to detail uh, to give each character, you know, their time, their due. And so, yeah, because that's the other, this is maybe a silly question, but Space Jam, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, these like 2D meets live action. How often are you working with LeBron James, for example? <laughs> okay. You know how many times I've met LeBron James? I've never met him yet. Zero? Oh my Zero. gosh. Yes. But what's so great about it is having the director and the animation director, they're so wonderful. And the producer, all there to give you context what's happening in the scene. So if we're looking at scene 64 and there's LeBron and Bugs and LeBron and Bugs and then maybe a couple of other characters, they give you as much context as, right. as you can. And you try different readings. I mean, it might be an intimate reading. It might be a called out reading. There's going to be different ways. And sometimes they, they're they not exactly sure until maybe they record the other person. So maybe they have to record LeBron and they go, you know what? Let's use take part of take three and part of take seven. Or maybe let's rewrite the line, Have wow. bring Jeff back in. This is a long process. Yeah. And none of you are in the same room. It's fascinating. No, none of us. I mean, even when they did Toy Story. I think, mm -hmm. if I'm correct, 
Tom Hanks said that he had never met Tim Allen. Right. And it was only at, I think, maybe the premieres that, that they had met. That's so that just goes to show you how really uh, gifted and talented the directors are. Yeah. They really, you know, they're, they're holding you in, in their hands and, and really guiding you. How many takes are there typically? Like, is there a ballpark kind of average? Because, again, it, it, for editors and directors, it just sounds like if you have more than 10 or 20, that's so much. That's too much to choose from. Well, you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I haven't done a tremendous amount of on-camera, but it's like an on-camera take. And you yeah. think about it, you have a shot, so they want to get it, you know, like maybe three, four different angles. And then they look at it and they go, wow, you know what, let's try it uh, a little here or there. So they might have three different ways that they obviously want to get it, but then... There's the extemporaneous, like, you know what, let's try it from here, because this looks like it might be a better angle. So now you've got nine or ten takes, and it's just this one moment. So that's what, what it was like for us. I mean, I can't even tell you how many takes we, we, we explored, and that's where I'll, that's the word I would use, for the end scene. We explored different lines, different takes, different emotions. So, and it was fun, you know, because you never really know. Um, I mean, as the performer, you don't know what takes they're going to use. Right. And LeBron is doing the same thing. The, the live action actors are doing the same thing of being told what's happening and hearing the performances or no, they're just speaking at a... <laughs> well, uh, it, you know, it depends. Sometimes uh, the director will read the other role with you. And, and that can be wow. very helpful so that you there's a sort of a linear continuity in the scene. And that's really great to have that. So somebody would read LeBron's line, and if they read LeBron's line and then I respond as Bugs Bunny, wow, you're going to get a really different take. My take is going right. to be really different because I'm not thinking about reading his line, which I do in my mind. I read his line, and then I read my line. I take a minute to do that so that... I'm responsive. I'm responding to him as if, if he's there. I mean, that, that's how I work. Yeah. But if some, you know, if they're not getting something or they want to just put you a little bit more in that space, they'll read the line. And right. they'll ask the performer too. Sometimes they'll ask us, would you like us to read you the other roles? Right. And, the, and it, it does depend again on like your personal process, your technique, your preferences. This is really good insight into the, into the, almost bizarre challenges facing voiceover acting. But at this point, it's all, you're rolling with the punches. A, a live action meets animated movie like this is not any different from any other job, I suppose. Oh my gosh, it is so crazy because it's like you're, you're an animated character, but now you're working with somebody that's gonna be on screen with you that's live action. So it, there's a thought process that's just, I mean, sometimes I try not to think about that and just what is happening in this scene? <laughs> okay, this person is really kind of frantic and they're kind of crazy and maybe I have to just do the rally call. And so that's the emotion that I have to be and not over, you know, overthink that, that, that I'm that I'm working, that I'm an animated character working with a live I, I mean, I think Bugs Bunny's real. So I, I have to make that where he's like a real character. I sort of consider him to be the greatest comedian of his generation. Oh, he can do anything. I mean, he yeah. can do he can assume any role, yeah. which which for me, that was always one of the most fun things that he could he could be Groucho and then he could play a, he could play a grandma, he could yeah, play a, yeah. a sexy woman. I mean, he could be anything. So and you're so, voicing Bugs Bunny doing a voice. Yes. 
Yes. Wow. And and so now think about it. So now it's what's strange is it's like, okay, I'm 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 doing a version of what Mel Blank did as Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Now I'm doing a version of what Mel Blank did as a woman, um, yeah. as Bugs Bunny as a woman. <laughs> and and so there's 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 this kind of <laughs> it's really you know, but that's the fun of it. That that's yeah. that's the fun of it when we get into that. And we certainly explore that in the movie too. So it's fun. Sure. No, there's never a dull moment, it sounds like. No, no, that's that's the fun of it, you know. And and what I loved about this movie so much is I just saw the first screening of the film, and I just was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. Oh, great! I think it's going to be such a perfect um, first movie to see in the movie theater and forever kind of movie. To see I kind of screen. agree. I, I agree because it's really fun, and that I mean yeah. I think it's something. I think it's something we all need right now. Uh, there, you know, there, there's just it's re- it's a really great story. Um, you know, I can't I can't liken it to anything, but I will say I remember the feeling of seeing Toy Story, the original one, in the movie theater. Cool. I saw it with my sons; they were really little, and I remember seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I had mm-hmm. never seen anything quite like that before, and that's the feeling that I experienced with with space jam i mean aside from the fact that i was in it um that that was a different that's a different compartment but but yeah it was just the the technology the animation is so beautiful awesome i can't wait to see it i haven't seen it yet um thank you so much jeff this is all so good we have to ask as always we're always asking about the advice can i ask first about vocal health tips how do you take care of your voice are you drinking tea at this very moment? Mm. At this very moment, I'm actually drinking water. Okay. Um, you know, tea is great, but sometimes it can dry you out. Okay. So I'm kind of careful about that. As far as vocal health, I know this might, I mean, I have a career that's close to 40 years. I have to say people don't like it when I say this, but it's true. Rest, silence. Mm. I mean, if you know you have a 9 a.m. session the following day, don't be on the phone. Yeah. Rest your voice. Yeah. That's the greatest thing about, you know, texting. We can we can do that. We can email, we can conduct our business and you can rest your voice. It's really important to do that. I do sometimes 15 to 18 straight hours of wow. no talking. Mhm. That's the best advice I can give to somebody. Yeah. And that's the same that you would then do that for like what happens when you have laryngitis or something goes doesn't wrong. Happen. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Good. That okay. doesn't happen. I won't let that happen. I will not that's not acceptable. Gotcha. That's yeah. Not yeah. acceptable. I mean, there's so many occupations where laryngitis you can do. You can you can do your work. Sure. sure. I mean, all we could do is return, you know, correspondence. That right. that's all we can do. Yeah. So but we, we don't work if we don't have our voices. So you take that really seriously, yeah. You really do. And honestly, I have to say, if there's an upside to the pandemic and wearing masks, you, you know what? I mean, yeah. I don't know anybody that's gotten a cold. Nope. nope. No germs. Yeah. So, I mean, the, staying really well hydrated. Mm-hmm. Hydration is really important. I don't think I understood that. That's another thing I would say to voice actors. Really hydrate. And I hydrate during my sessions a lot and even now yeah even now it just makes it you, you you every take i almost take it not every take but most takes i take a drink of water before i do a take gotcha 
because it lubricates your your system right right you're constantly you're very much in touch with your do you think of it as an instrument i do i definitely think of it i mean i'm now to the point where i mean unless it's a a family situation or it's an emergency there's no talking after 10 o'clock after yeah cool oh yeah because think about it if you don't talk after 10 and you're up at say somewhere between i don't know you know 6 30 and 8 30 um you, you've had you know 14 16 and 18 hours of silence yeah rest hmm. wow i mean that's just you're you're powering up your your you know it's just like it's just like you know powering up your iphone that 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 that's yeah, all yeah. it is when you, if you think of it that way rest yeah. is is recharge the battery that's really good. That's a really good routine for voiceover actors. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the other? So, what is the other career advice? Like, what what is it you tend to? I'm sure you're asked all the time by actors who want to get into maybe specifically animation, or maybe it's more impressions. What do you tend to advise? First thing is a step that I think people skip, and that is you must love what you do. Mm. You must love it, and it takes over you it's a passion because there that right there is your fuel of sustainability Hmm. that can sustain you through lean times through difficult times auditioning for 500 things and not getting one call back that's hard and and waiting to get your sad cards you know all those things that we all want to get and we want to get working and people that do voice impersonations bull they're all oh, i want to get on an animation show i want to get on an animated show and you do it but it it's you have to stay the course and mm-hmm. and know that it could be 10 12 years before you get there so not not to get not to give up and then of course i always say if there's any way you can study with somebody that's that's an actor i i i I'm a little more, uh, I, I just, I think studying, being in an acting class, if you can do that, that is really, I think that's the better way to do it than studying with, with, a, with a, somebody that's a voice actor that has a course. But I do think that's valuable as well. But I think studying acting first, learning how to use your voice, studying with a voice teacher, wow, and learning to sing. If, if, if someone plays the piano or they sing, this is very helpful because voice actors have to sing. Yeah. I have to sing all the time. Yeah. You had to sing for What's Opera Doc, that very first tape. Oh, my gosh. I did. And it was really hard. And there's yeah. a melody and there's a harmony there. So you have to know how to pick that out. And so wow. that's really important. I mean, I, I think that's probably something that I've noticed a lot of voice actors um, they have a lot of experience in improv. They have a lot of acting experience and stand-up and theater experience, but not as much singing I've noticed. So right. I learned to play an instrument uh, when I was 40, and I was oh. very passionate about it. And it opened up a lot of avenues, you know, for ear training for me. Thank you so much, Jeff. This was so great. Uh, do you have any other parting words of wisdom? Well, I would just say that anybody that wants to have a career in voiceover or a career in animation or doing book tapes or industrials, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you love it and you're passionate about it, keep recording yourself. Listen to everything that inspires you and anyone that inspires you. Keep at it. Don't stop. And you'll get there. Mm-hmm. You'll get there. 
How perfect. That's such a perfect um, summary of everything you just said. I also think that the point about don't just take one type of class, take uh, voice lessons, singing, acting, improv, all of it applies to voiceover, especially. It really does. Yeah. To all performance. Absolutely. And you're just getting really more in touch with your body by, by integrating all those, all those different disciplines. Right. Right. Um, we also ask, what is one performance that you think every actor should see and why? And maybe in your case, is there like a gold standard voice role that still inspires you or that you think would really inform aspiring voiceover actors? Well, I would say that I love the film Toy Story because mm-hmm. what you're getting in that is you're you're getting really great performers that are in many cases they weren't voice actors they were actors Mm. so they came at it from that perspective but they were also directed by people that really they really knew what what they wanted so i think there's like what's called as the pixar read I, i call it that it's a very sort of Disney, Pixar, cinematic type of reading. And you almost can kind of hear that. So if you're going to audition for Disney films, there's like what I kind of think of as the, di- oh, that's that kind of sounded like the Disney read, you know. So your ear gets accustomed to, to what type of reading can be lifted off the page. So, I mean, I think the, I mean, Up is another one that's my mm. favorite because you know, you have uh, Ed Asner who plays the, the 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 older gentleman and the young kid who was wonderful in that. And so you get, you know, his reads and they were so uh, natural and so real. Yeah, so yeah. I would simply say whatever anybody is, whatever you gravitate towards, whatever film, hmm. you know, you gravitate towards, that's probably a, an important thing. Gotcha. Um, I think it's different for... I think it's really different for everyone. I, yeah, I really yeah. do. I, I, but I do like, you know, Toy Story because you get to hear, and I like Pixar films in general because you get to hear some of the greatest, yeah. um, you know, dialogue, you know, being read, and and some of the greatest actors. Yeah, actors. and like you said, like that did sort of set the standard for Pixar. Maybe set the tone, literally the tone for Pixar movies because it was the first absolutely. Movie. I mean, I'm you know, Mr. Incredible. That's another film that that yeah. I love, and it's so well done. It's so well acted, and again, they're not typically voice actors, but they're they're it's they're they do such a great job, the directors, yeah. um, with with handling the the cast. You know, um, I mean, of course. Like uh, the Robin Williams in the Genie, I don't know how they would have directed him because he just was—I mean, he, he just hit the green button and he's like, "Go." <laughs> yep. Uh, but but yeah, that's another great another great yeah, yeah. performance, you know. But I think anything that you you gravitate towards is probably something that you're already inspired by and interested in, and you might even be led in that direction. Yeah. I'm I'm often. I'm never surprised when when I see an actor do a voice or impersonation because they obviously they've connected to that in some way. And yeah. so, yeah, when people often say, well, what what did you want? What do you watch? Is there a secret? You know, the, the secret is whatever it is that you're that gets you that you're connected to that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to that. Listen to your gut. 
your inner voice. Your inner voice. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, well, gosh, Josh, thank you so much. This was so fun. I can't wait to see Space Jam. And um, it's such yeah. an honor to speak to uh, to a Bugs Bunny. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, all right, then. I'll see you at the movies, Doc. Bye. <laughs> And now it's time to hear from Christine McKenna-Torella, our backstage casting insider. I will let her take it away. Hey folks, Christine McKenna-Torella here. I love this episode this week, mostly because I, I love the celebrities we get on, but I love the long lifers in, in acting, right? And, and Jeff Bergman, most people don't know his name, but his work is literally the most iconic cartoon voices of all time. I mean, I was really geeking out. I know Jack was too. There's so many valuable lessons in this week's episode about having a long career in the business. And Jeff is so generous in sharing that information with us. My favorites, uh, my takeaways, were staying on course, right? Don't give up because this is a long road as an actor and you don't know when your break's going to come. Study with people you admire if you can. Learn to use your voice, especially if you want to do character work. And of course, that means studying about, you know, techniques of voice and, and all of that type of stuff. And learn new skills that may not directly be used in your career, but will help you and your instrument. Uh, for him, it's singing and learning to play an actual instrument <laughs> later in life. I think the most interesting takeaway for me was leaning into what you love. Jeff had a natural love for character voice work. And even though Bugs and Daffy Duck and Elmer, they already had voice actors playing them when he was growing up, but he studied them anyway because it, it was fun. It was his passion. And I encourage actors to make a list of dream roles. Even if someone is already playing them, right? That's why you know them. They're already in the universe. Do mini character studies of each role you'd like to play. How do they walk, talk, dress, interact with others and the world? And of course, what is their voice? What are their mannerisms, you know? If it's an ongoing theater project or a long running cartoon, as in Jeff's case, you never know where that type of work could lead you. And if nothing more, it's a really fun exercise for you to do as an actor. On to the casting calls for this week. Uh, I have some regional highlights to, to give to you because things are starting to come back in person. So uh, casting a construction digital video. Uh, in the video, there is a few scripted lines, but if you have experience as a craftsperson or a plasterer, that is a plus to note that in the submission, you have to be able to self-report to Charlotte, North Carolina. So it is for locals of that area. If you are local to Pasadena, California, there is a corporate award show seeking a host for a virtual programming. They're shooting in Pasadena for what will be a virtual production, but it is for two days in the week of mid-August at a rate of $1,000 per day. And I find this exciting because it means 
that the world is getting back to normal after a long 18 months, but our cruise line auditions are back. Uh, we have a variety of cruise lines that are, are currently casting with us, but I wanted to highlight um, that the Disney Wish are casting performers online to be part of Disney history. Submit your auditions uh, to be part of the inaugural cast of Disney Cruise Line's brand new luxury cruise line, the Disney Wish. So take a look at that if you want to be part of the highest caliber entertainment at sea, according to Disney. Take a look on the site. All details are there for the uh, projects I've mentioned today. And as always, we have hundreds of casting calls for every type of actor in every region on the site. So head over to backstage.com to check those out. That's all from me for now. Break a leg in your upcoming auditions and have a beautiful week. Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope. Return, my love. I want you always beside me. Return, my love. I want you always near me. Oh, what like us meant to be. Maybe you and me return. Oh, there's a little bit of it right there. <laughs>